Hello and welcome to Five Alive. It's another wonderful day here in Mahali, Punjab. We're so thankful that you are joining us as we continue to study heartily into God's word and discuss what he has to say for us. We're continuing in the subject of growth in Christ, both as a new believer, but also as one of those things like when we were playing sports and athletics, our coach would come to us and after a game that we would do especially poorly at, they would say, we're going back and this week we're going to go through the fundamentals because the fundamentals are very important. And the things that you messed up on this week in our basketball game or in our baseball game or in our football game were the fundamentals. So we're going to have a week of fundamentals training. That's kind of like what we're doing right here with talking about Christian growth. These are things that as seasoned Christians, we forget as new Christians, we don't yet understand. And so as a result, we're going to go through both things. Today, we're discussing what it's like to be a Christian amongst friends, other relations, and our family who may or may not be believers. They may or may not be Christians. When I talk about family, and when I'm bringing our family into a discussion, whom are the people that are most, that, like they're at the forefront of your mind. When I say family, you're thinking, I think like, I think of Blair, my wife. I think of Xavier and Addison and Mallory, my children. Who Who is it that you guys think of? You guys, our parents, and then Addison and Mallory, my sisters, and then grandparents. Okay. The immediate family. The immediate family. The immediate family. People with the last name Williams. Okay, there you go. That's a great answer. When I'm talking about our family, do you think of them as somebody that you can come to and discuss things with, that you can bring your problems to, or is that something that you think of more when it comes to friendships or to a fellow coworker? It depends on the thing that I have to talk about with the uh -huh. person. Absolutely. And what if you were to go and talk with the person that you really, really trusted, whether it's a family member or a close friend, and they alienated you? How would that make you feel? Not so great. Sad. Alienation is the state or experience of being isolated from a group. Oh, man, I thought so it was like about being an alien. like giving a person cold shoulders? Uh, say that again. Like giving a person the cold shoulder? Right. Like giving a person the cold shoulder. I guess then you just realize that that person wasn't your right friend. What if it was a family member? Yeah, you can't get rid of family you're related by blood. If it was a family member, then you probably have to either trust them or just not talk to them ever again. Like, if they don't talk to you, you can either say that I forgive you and I'll try to work through this with you, or you can just be like, I didn't like them anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Putting people off is not the correct answer. No. Well, obviously it's not necessarily the correct answer, but it is one that we, unfortunately as humanity, we commonly rely upon uh, that as our go-to, unfortunately. Family alienation or family members giving us the cold shoulder is one of the hardest issues that many new believers, new Christians encounter. You cannot force your family to understand the new decisions, lifestyle, or thinking that you're making when you've become a Christian, and nor can you make your family become a Christian themselves. You can't force somebody else, even if it's your, 
your closest mom and dad or your spouse, you became a Christian, your spouse isn't a Christian, or you became a Christian and your children aren't yet Christians, or your children reject Christianity, you can't force them to all of a sudden then claim Christ as their Lord and Savior. And in fact, some family members may feel antagonized by the fact that you are living a life full of conviction, which is led by your faith in Jesus. And so other family members may not believe your faith, and so they get aggravated with you, which therefore aggravates you. In Luke chapter 21, verse 16, Jesus said this, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, sisters, relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. This shows us the contrast and comparison 2,000 years ago to the 21st century today when Jesus was speaking. The same thing comes to truth today is that we will have family members that will reject us for our faith in Christ. And Jesus warned us about this. However, our reaction as a Christian is to be kindness towards our family Kindness to our family is very important. New followers of Christ have been known to make the mistake of giving up family relationships or they reject their friends because now they've come to faith in Christ and they say, oh, I can't be friends with that person because they're so bad. I can no longer allow that person into my life. This causes the new disciple to turn to only church friends and other followers of Christ as a replacement for those family members and friends. And they will cite scriptures like Mark chapter 3, verse 35. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. The commandment, however, says that we're to honor our father and mother. Another passage of scripture says anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's found in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. So what we need is a sound and biblical teaching. Scripture does not contradict or cause confusion. That is a tactic reserved only for the enemy of our soul, the devil. This means that we must look at our priorities and we must, on a daily, maybe even a momentarily, every second of the day basis, put these things into prioritized order. God first is what I believe with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. No one can come before God. He is the ultimate. That's found in a passage of scripture in the book of Matthew, chapter 6 and verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Very good. So the most important relationship that we have in our lives ever is our relationship with God. Our relationship with God comes before everything else. We show our priority by who we spend the most on, whether it be time, finances, or even thoughts and reflection. And we show our priority by who we spend our daily lives with. Am I spending more time with other things than I am with God? If I am, then he is not the first priority. So I need to change that. I need to reflect. I need to spend time in his presence. I need to spend time reading God's word, which is found in the Holy Bible. I need to spend time in prayer, both speaking to him and listening from him. Second thing that's most important 
and is a huge priority in our lives, if we are married, is our spouse. Blair is my second priority. My spouse fulfills me in an area of my life that I lack or I fail in. Blair completes me. My marriage to her is a microcosm, therefore, of what Christ has done for the world, Jesus being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. This is spoke about in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. We're going to read that in a little while, though. First, I want to just keep on going through our priorities, and then we'll go through the questions and answers on the passages of Scripture here in a second. This passage of Scripture talks about the importance of our submission, one for another, out of reverence for Christ in Ephesians 5, chapter 21. And husbands, we are to be the head of our household, and we are held responsible for the care of our wife and our children. Neglecting that can be a detriment to our spiritual life. Men, if you are listening and you are married, it is vital that you take care of your wife, that you take care of your children, and that you keep the headship of the house. Does that mean that you never listen to your wife and that she doesn't have an opinion? Absolutely not. You work together, submitting unto each other, as the church submits to Christ, and as Christ works together as the head of the church for the church. We are a microcosm. Our marriage is a microcosm. Neglecting that can be a detriment to our spiritual lives. Therefore, as husbands, we must care for our wife. She must be a priority. Third priority, our children. Children are a heritage from God. Psalm 127, verse 3. There is bad news for the one who causes a little one to stumble. This isn't just in reflection of a father and a mother situation, but also if you are just in charge of children, if you're a teacher and you have children under your care, or if you are somebody who is uh, very prominent in your community and you cause one of the children of God to falter in their life, in their faith, etc., according to Matthew 18, verse 6, it will be better for a millstone to be tied around your neck and for you to be thrown into the water to drown to death if you cause a child to stumble. That's how important our children are. And so not just as fathers and mothers, but what if we haven't been blessed to have children? What if our children are the, peop the children in our community? What if our children are adopted or are foster children? We do not cause them to stumble. They are a priority. They're the third most important priority in our lives. And we provide for our children as our third priority. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. As parents who follow Christ, we are not to provoke our children to wrath. That's in Colossians 3, 20 and 21. Number fourth priority is our family, our extended family and our immediate family, our mother, our father, our sisters, our brothers, our cousins, our aunties, our uncles. Our family must be shown kindness, even those who do not understand our faith in Christ. It is our right to honor them. It is our right to stand up for our faith, but also to honor our family members, even in those moments that they don't understand. We do not come to blows with each other. We do not fight and argue and squirmish and, and physical, 
come to physical uh, fisticuffs because we have a disagreement with each other, though that has happened many times. Instead, what we do is we honor each other. We honor those who reject what Christ is speaking into our lives. First Timothy chapter five, verse four, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Our fifth priority is fellow believers or the family of God. We must encourage the assembling together of each other and to help each other, to pray together, and to learn together. This is an important part of our growth as followers of Christ, and we must not neglect the family of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, to show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. The emperor Peter is talking about isn't even a Christian in this case. And the sixth priority is our work. Providing for our family requires hard work. We must fulfill our job descriptions. We must earn an income. We must be on time to work. We must avoid getting written up for going against company policy. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And seventh, those friends, those neighbors who do not necessarily have the same religious convictions and beliefs as us, we spend time with them. We spend time with them by playing athletics, by doing the hobbies, by having conversation over tea or coffee, by having our neighbors into our house, by going into their house, regardless of how they look at us. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17 says, Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor. And Mark chapter 12, verse 33 says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our family, when it comes to our friends, when it comes to people who just don't agree with us, it is our objective, it is our honor, it is our duty, and it is our right to look at them as men and women of honor. As Mallory read earlier, and I would like for her to read again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, this is a reminder for us of how we're to place things priority-wise in our lives. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now for some questions and some scriptures discussing family through what we read in the Bible. First passage of scripture is found in Acts chapter 16, verse 25 through 34. There's a promise given to a man who has jailed or imprisoned Paul and Silas. What is the promise that's given to him? So reflect on these things. We'll talk about them afterwards, after Xavier reads them for us. How many people heard the gospel that night? How many people believed in God? And how many were immediately baptized? This is Acts chapter 16, 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword that, and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. 
But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembled with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved in your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into the, his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So what was uh, the promise that was given to the jailer if he would believe in Christ? He will be saved. How many people heard the gospel that night? The guy, his family, and all the other prisoners within the prison. Absolutely, they did. How many people believed in God? The jailer and his family. So wait a second. Are you telling me that Paul and Silas preached the gospel, the jailer and his family heard the gospel, as well as all the other prisoners, but the only ones that got saved were the jailer and his family? Yes. Are you saying that there were some people that chose not to believe in Christ after the gospel was presented to them? Yes. This is a hard thing for us to recognize sometimes is that we think every time, especially the longer we stay in Christ, we think the more I've poured into somebody, the more likely they are to come to faith in Christ. And so they're going to believe. And, every, and then we come to this place where we become so arrogant that we think every time that I share Jesus with somebody, they're going to believe in Jesus. And then what's even worse is our Christian history kind of gives us that same type of thought process when we're reading the history of Christian missionaries. Every time this person spoke, people would gather around and they would get saved, but we don't recognize the fact that there were also other people that were there that did not get saved. And this causes us to therefore have doubt in our faith whenever we have a family member that has gone years and years and years and years without coming to Christ. And as we pray for them, 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years, we keep desiring for them to come to faith. But what if the moment they come to faith is on their deathbed? Do they still come to faith in Christ? Yes. yes. How many people were immediately baptized? The jailer and his entire family. The jailer and his family. These are things that I want us to focus on and recognize is that is it possible for a whole family to get saved? Yes. Is it also family for one person out of a family to get saved and everybody else to sit there and cast aspersions on them, looking down on them, going, I can't believe you became a Christian. Don't you realize that our whole faith has been built in this culture and in this society and this is what we believe? And by you turning to become a Christian, you have rejected what your heritage is. Yeah. Does that happen? Yes. Yeah. And so for that person, I want to encourage you to keep on seeking after Jesus and keep on praying for your family. There is that moment that light will come on because Jesus is the eternal light. He is the light of the world. He is the one that will speak to their hearts and to their minds. And as we keep on standing in the gap for them, they will come to faith. All right. First Timothy chapter five, verses three through eight. Honor widows who are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, 
for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they might be without reproach, that if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In what practical way is the follower of Christ to love his family? By taking care of them. Now, and how do we do that? Well, we don't do everything for him. Well, okay, you're 17 years old. Yeah. How do you take care of me and your mother right now? Well, right now, I listen, I obey what you ask me to do, and I continue to love you and live under your household and your rules. I mean, that's how I take care of you guys, I think. Uh, I mean, I, yeah. I, like, I don't take care of you financially, but I don't that, have to. Right. That's not your responsibility to take care of us financially as a 17-year-old student, right? Yes. And so sometimes we look at our responsibilities differently. Sometimes we think it's only a financial responsibility or obligation, but that's not always the case, is it? What are ways, as a 13-year-old young lady, what are ways that you provide for our family, Mallory? I don't know. I guess the same thing as Amber. Yeah, definitely. There were moments when, Blair, you didn't work as much necessarily as you do today. What what were what are your responsibilities in providing for our family? Providing for our family is definitely just to do my best as a mom and as a spouse and as a daughter because I do have a mom mm -hmm. and my dad has expired. But to honor my mom, who is a widow mm -hmm. and a divorcee, is to give honor where honor is due. So I, as her child to honor and to respect her and to provide for her when she does not have the means to be able to do that. Absolutely. And as the husband of Blair, her mom has become my mom in that sense, that it is also my duty to continue to honor my mom, to honor my dad. My parents are divorced, so my dad is remarried, and to honor my stepmom and to honor our extended family and the ways we do that not always are just a financial obligation. Sometimes they are a listening ear. Sometimes they are a phone conversation or a video chat. Sometimes they are just going to our parents' house, sitting down with them and living life. I can think of uh, a few other practical ways that we can honor our family and especially those who are close to us in friendship and relationship, and that is to just simply talk. We don't really put too much emphasis on the importance of that, but I think after COVID and being in lockdown so much, the fact that we get out now, and I keep seeing these comic strips come across that are talking about, oh man, it seems like the days are more exhausting now than they ever were before because now I have to spend all this time with all these people. The reality is, is that spending time with others doesn't always have to be draining. Sometimes that is our relationship with them. All right, now we're going to get into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 30, 21 through 33. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. 
Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So if you're married, how are you to treat your spouse? Love them as you love yourself. Mm. Which shows, like, if you don't love yourself, you really got to find the ways to love yourself. Because if you see all of your flaws and the things that you hate, you're going to be, it's easy to point out the flaws and the things that you hate in your spouse. And so if you're not taking care of yourself and you're not taking care of who you are as a child of the king, you've got to be completely submersed into knowing that God loves you and he loves you just the way you are. And sure, there's always things to work on, but we don't have to vocally say all that to our spouse. I mean, there's things that I know personally that I'm working on and still need to work on, but that's me, but I don't need to put project that onto you as my spouse of, well, you need to do this, you need to do that, because because you're the man of the house, and if you're not doing it, then I'm not going to do it. So it's you got to know who you are and be okay with who you are, because it's always easy to point out all of our flaws, but those things we're still working on because we have not arrived to perfection and our spouse has not arrived to perfection and they're going, they're going to grow, they're going to mature, they're going to be different and they're going to have desires that may have not been what they wanted when they were 20 years of age and there's, I mean, we just go through periods of times of regrets or times of maybe I should have done this in life and there will be times of depression and there will be times of excitement and times for adventure and times of man, are we doing this right? Because it feels too good. And those are just the waves of life, so to say. But truly knowing who we are and who we are in Christ and loving ourselves as Christ loves us. We're able to love our spouse as we love ourselves. And God opens up our eyes with a fresh and a new to sit back, to go, I love my husband and thank you, Lord, for him. Very good. Here in India, we have a celebration in the month of October and uh, it is where young girls are to pray for their future spouse and where married women are to pray for the spouse that they have. And I've heard lots of people talk about the interesting aspect of how this is barbaric or ancient or all of these different things. And I just want to kind of encourage 
the women out there as well as the men out there is that this isn't something that just women, I mean, I know it's a part of the cultural festivals of India where we live, but specifically we're to pray for our spouse, not just because the dates on the calendar tell us to. We are to fast for our spouse. And I'm not just talking to women here. I'm saying men, we are to also. The passage of scripture says, husbands, you are to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. When he gave himself up, we're not talking about he just left this. He died so that we could have life. Are you willing to die for your wife? Are you willing to, instead of sitting on the sofa and demanding food and drink and that she does all, make sure the, the, the servants get the floors clean and the dishes clean, are you willing to get up and do some of it yourself because you honor your wife? Are you willing to give some of your prominence and your pompous attitude up so that that way you actually love your spouse? Are you willing to die for your spouse? And I'm not just talking about in a scenario where somebody's coming to rob you and you step in front of the gun instead of allowing your spouse to get shot first. I'm talking about in your everyday life, are you willing to give up that position that looks like headship that your wife is submitting to? And are you willing to love your wife as you love your own body? Are you willing to give up the alcohol because she's tired of you getting drunk every night? Are you willing to give up the drugs because your wife, because you constantly are spending money in areas you shouldn't? Are you ready to stop gambling because you're taking away from the future of your family and the future of your children? What is it that's causing you to love yourself more than loving your spouse? These are the things that we have got to separate out of our lives and submit unto Christ, who is the head of us as the church. And these are the ways that as the father and as the husband, we are to respect our wives and our children. You guys got anything to say? Unmarried children? No, I'm not married. But how does that make you look at marriage in the future one day? Something to be excited about? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Our last passage of scripture is found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It's a little reminiscent of the one that we just read in Ephesians. And the reason is, is because this is how important it is for us to understand as husbands, wives, and children. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning, adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. How are we to love our spouse? Like ourselves. Yeah. 
when it brings up that passage of scripture of your beauty should not come in outward adornment like hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes, does that mean that you should never wear jewelry or makeup or fine clothes? Is that what Peter is really saying here? Is that the focus of this verse? Is that the thing that we need to make sure that we don't put earrings in our ears and necklaces around our necks and wear jewelry on our fingers? Is that what he's talking about here? No. No, but you should not, as a woman, project yourself for other men to lust and flaunt over the things that are meant for the bedroom, mm. so to say. And, and, that's, and that's tricky. It's tricky. But at the same time, when the church come in, comes in and the priest or the pastor is so demanding saying, women need to remove all their makeup and you need to dress in this specific type of dress, what does that lead to normally? A cult? A cult. Yeah, it definitely does. It leads to a non-biblical, non-Christian, non-Christ-following way of living. It does not lead to seeking Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm going to ask Mallory this question. Mallory, do you feel nice when you're able to dress up and do your hair? Yes. I just dress up like on birthdays or like fancy things that we have to go to or on Sundays because um, that's what you usually do. Okay, this is coming from a young lady who has spent some time doing her hair today. She's got a little bit of makeup on her face and she's wearing a dress. Xavier, as a young man, how does it make you feel when we have an event to go to that you have to get a suit and a tie for? I enjoy it. And why do you enjoy it? Because I like looking nice. I mean, what is it, 20... I think it was 2018 when we went back to U.S. because of your shirt surgery. We needed I needed new clothes because I've grown I had grown a lot, and I had remembered how when I was younger how I used to wear like khaki pants and nice dress polo shirts and stuff like that. And I remember wanting to do that again and like on Easter wear a vest and a nice dress shirt and nice slacks. And it's just because I like looking nice. I like the way it feels, and especially whenever it is a event like a wedding or like a wedding it's nice to show up that way because then it shows your support for the person who is getting married and showing that you agree with them and that you came nice enough and dressed up so that way that you're presentable in their presence basically so basically what you're saying is is you enjoy dressing up for yourself but also to respect those that are around you yes and even on Sundays and stuff like that, I like to put on a collared shirt is because Scripture tells us to bring ourselves before the Lord, uh, present ourselves well before the Lord, and I like to dress nice before God on every day, but on Sundays especially when we worship Him. Yeah. Blair, how do you, uh, do you enjoy dressing up? Do you enjoy? Absolutely. I love dressing up. I think it's fun. I feel pretty. But I feel pretty, even in no matter what I have on. But yes, I like to dress up. And in the adornment of what you have put on in order to dress up, whose eyes are you looking to capture in that moment? My husband's and my husband's only. When it comes to adorning yourself, as this passage of scripture says, 
because I'm also somebody who enjoys dressing up. I, I think it's fun. I think it's a part of our society that has unfortunately gone downhill way too quickly to a point where we basically look like we're wearing our pajamas every time we go out the door. And um, we don't care if we have holes in our clothes. We don't care to uh, even look the way we would say 100 years ago, 50 years ago, presentable in certain areas of our lives. And a large part of that is not because scripture tells us to not adorn ourselves. A large part of that is just mostly out of selfishness on our own part, which is the opposite of what Peter's talking about here. And it's easy to follow the trend. So like if you're seeing it on a social media platform and maybe it's a favorite follower that you like to follow. And if that person is Trend, trying to trend set it and seeing how many people they can capture to trend set because they just want to see it for selfish gain and selfish reasons. Um, it's easy. Hey, so-and-so is wearing it, so I'm going to wear it. And if I wear this, then I'm going to attract this type of person. And it, so it may be just for the type of the attraction that you're wanting to seek after. Very true. Yeah. I mean, some people's only specific reason for getting dressed up, and this is more of where Peter's coming from in this passage of scripture is, is just to try and cause somebody to stumble, Mm -hmm. get them to fall, get them to lust after uh, me. And that's not, that's not what we're to be doing in our lives. That's not our goal. That's not our first goal or second goal or third goal. Remember what our priorities are. Our priorities are God first Am I dressing the way I'm dressing because I'm bringing honor and glory to him? Does the makeup make me love myself more? Does the way I'm dressed right now make me love myself more? Because if it does, what's wrong with that? When I'm supposed to love my neighbor as I love myself. If I hate myself the way I'm dressed, the way my hair is done, the way my makeup is, the way my jewelry is, then I'm probably going to hate my neighbor even more. I'm going to become even more bitter and hateful towards them because they have, we do that whole thing of keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the family across the street that we think, man, they've got so much better stuff than I do. And so therefore it becomes competitive in that way. And this is the same thing that we're talking about is that is not a way that we are to lead our lives, men or women. Instead, we are submit ourselves unto Christ as spouses unto each other, as parents, we are to lead our children. We are to continue to honor our father and mother, even in our old age. We are to respect and honor our family members. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to go to work and perform our duties and our tasks properly and in a timely order. And all of that says that we're a Christian. When we're not abiding by those principles, then we happen to be falling out of God's will. Second question from this first Peter chapter three, verses one through seven, it's referring to a woman in this passage of scripture, but there are those cases where the man is the believer and the woman is not. So I'm going to phrase the question for a spouse. How does a believing spouse win the unbelieving spouse to Christ? You serve them as if you're serving unto the Lord. Yes, that's exactly right. And as it says in verse two, when they see the purity and reverence of your life, they will come to Christ. And so I'm not 
talking about missionary dating where an unbeliever is unequally yoked with a believer, I'm talking about those situations where one of the people who is married, previously they were not believers. They became a believer. The spouse did not yet come to faith. We win that person to the Lord by what Blair just said. When it comes to our family, when it comes to our friends, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to our priorities in our relationship lives, is there anything else that we must do in order to continue to honor God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, seek first the kingdom of God, and make sure that our families and our friends are cared for? The scripture has continually said, the way you treat your spouse and your children will also show your character in Christ and therefore reveal to them what they're missing as non-believers to the point where they'll see that your character is greater than theirs and want to replicate it. Have you ever noticed somebody doing something that you do because they had observed you doing that thing, whether good or bad? I probably wouldn't have even noticed that the person that I observed me. Yeah, sometimes we don't recognize that people are watching us all the time, but people do watch us just as much as we watch what other people do, and sometimes even more so. And so with all of that in mind, it's important for us to recognize that as we seek first the kingdom of God, he develops inside of us a love for ourselves, for our spouse, for our children, and for all of those that are around us, our family members, our co-workers, and our neighbors. And let's close in prayer. Okay. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that we will worship God for forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have any questions, if you have any opinions, comments, you can find us on social media, Instagram, Twitter. You can email us. Look forward to hearing from you. Five Alive out.